The Daily Tap is live for Tuesday. We are talking about the Brewers Clubhouse dysfunction, who deserves the blame, who should take the brunt of it, and much more. We will also talk about the Packer defense and why one analyst is underrating them and overrating an NFC North team. And lastly, we will talk about working out to female-led music, spawned off a tweet from a Buffalo reporter. It's been a weird day for the internet, let me tell you. Um, There's so much more we could talk about. I do want to do a weird Wisconsin topic, but I want some facts to come out on one thing before we actually discuss it. Um, But before we get going, uh, make sure to follow us on social media, follow us on Twitter, tapping the keg, uh, Instagram, tapping the keg sports, TikTok, tapping the keg sports, Facebook, Tabby Cake Sports. It's not hard to find us. You can find us there. We didn't have a lot of TikTok and Instagram content this weekend because of the Murphy wedding. I promise you, we'll be back on our bullshit. We already are starting on both Instagram and TikTok, so don't worry about that. Podcasts, make sure that you rate, review, subscribe. You know we're on Apple. You know we're on Spotify. Um, Please leave ratings. Please leave reviews. They help us. They boost us up. If you are new, if you're joining us, if the w, WSSC void is still there and you and we were recommended. I hope you guys enjoy. I hope you stick with us. We'd love to have you. And if there's something we could do to help fill that void, please let us know. Hit us up on Twitter. Hit us up on Instagram. We are there for you. I want to make this a great experience. All right, let's talk about the dysfunction in the Brewers Clubhouse. Eric Lauer was on the mound Monday night. Eric Lauer would speak with the media after his performance on Monday night, whether it was good or bad. Eric Lauer could shut down the Dodgers like he did, or he could get blown up, but he still has to talk to the media. No matter what, uh, Eric Lauer is talking to the media. That said, he did not wait to unload the clip on the Brewers front office. A very honest Eric Lauer gave his opinion on what the Brewers did with the Josh Hader trade. Eric Lauer said this, there was a shock factor to it. Everybody was taken aback a little bit. As far as who we have in the clubhouse, what we have here, I don't think we're in any worse position to win as many games as we should. The only thing I can think of was from the top down, it seemed like there was a weird behind the scene message that was sent, which a lot of people did not jive with. It did not send the right message from the upstairs people trying to say we're doing this and we're trying to put you guys in the best position and we're trying to win right now with you guys it seemed more like we're trying to develop for the future now this is very interesting from eric lauer this is as open as we've heard anybody for the milwaukee brewers milwaukee brewers have played it close to the vest really besides devin williams who expressed a lot of frustration the first day that the brewers did trade josh Hader. I'm not surprised that Devin Williams was sad to have his buddy go, but Eric Lauer spoke for the team. To me, that was the message that was sent. I don't know why Eric Lauer, of all people, was chosen. I I guess Eric Lauer is a vocal leader, um, and Eric Lauer is taking a stance. Does everybody feel like Eric Lauer? Is it 75%? Brent Suter also made an interesting comment that more guys are trying to hang out with each other. And is this clubhouse split in the two? Is it a team hater versus maybe not necessarily an anti-hater, but sort of a we're okay without him and we'll soldier on and we'll do the right thing. You look at the comments made by Christian Yelich, look at the comments made by Brandon Woodruff. It Those guys to me seem like they're playing it more team focused 
than what we've heard from Eric Lauer. So is that's what's going on, and it, is it trying to meld it together? We had the Harley Davidson vest, which yet another gimmick for the Brewers. Mark DeRosa actually had an interesting comment. He was like, "Oh, they have too many gimmicks," and I made a comment like, "Fuck him!" When Mitch told me this, and then Mitch explained like. Mark DeRosa was like, we didn't have any gimmicks for one of our great teams that he played on, but then the team we played on with the Rangers, we had way too many and we absolutely sucked. They're trying to unify this team a little bit in every little way because it's clear that the Josh Hader trade split the focus of this team. Remember, this team was absolutely on fire out of the break. They won seven and nine games. They were feeling good, heading into a stretch against Pittsburgh and the Cincinnati Reds where they easily could have picked up more games before they entered in a very hard stretch that would feature the Rays, the Cardinals, and two series against the Dodgers. Josh Hader trade changed all of that. And I know that I was maybe a little less on this was going to really affect the clubhouse. But the Brewers did tear down this clubhouse because they are an emotional team. And I mentioned on Monday's show a couple weeks ago I was like, can the Brewers rein in their emotions for these last two weeks? And the answer is no. Even though they played really great against the Dodgers last week, they lose two out of three to the Cubs. This Josh Hader thing is still fucking lingering, even though Josh Hader has been absolutely garbage. And you could make an argument, and I was actually going to do this for a segment, I still might tomorrow, that the Brewers would have significantly more losses with Josh Hader. That if Josh Hader was on this roster right now, the Brewers would probably be maybe out of the playoff race with how well the Cardinals are playing. The Cardinals are looking like the best team in baseball right now. Now, is it some of its schedule? Absolutely. They are playing the Sisters of the Poor. They have won now 17-20, though, and they've won eight straight games. You can't deny what the St. Louis Cardinals are doing at the moment. You hope, as a Brewers fan, that they peak too soon, but you never know. It could mean that they get on a red-hot run, and here we go. And if that happens, I have to drink bleach. Because if Yadier Molina, Albert Pujols, and Adam Wainwright win a World Series, and maybe their last season altogether, I will have to lay myself in front of Oakland and just get run over. Because that I can't do this. I can't do that as a sports fan. That, to me, is fucking torture. And I will not stand for it. I just can't. But maybe it will be. Maybe maybe that's where, where it's all going which would be very ironic for what's happened with this Brewers team. Now, the blame itself, it could be spread out over everybody. It can be spread out over the fact that Mark Ananasio and David Stearns might not have been on the same page with all of this. That maybe David Stearns, and again, this is all me speculating. This is all me just thinking this out, talking it through. But David Stearns might have approached Mark Ananasio at the start of the season and said, hey, Josh Hader, the value is going to decrease as we continue on. And at some point, we need to move off of Josh Hader. That we cannot keep Josh Hader because we are not going to pay him. I know you don't want to pay him. I don't want to pay him. I do not recommend you paying him. So we should move off Josh Hader now before the season even starts. Get ourselves an established reliever and go from there and make sure that we have a good veteran bullpen. And Ananasio might have waved him off and said, no, you know what, we, do, we don't, you know, this is not not there, everything like that. And because it got closer and closer and the hater trade is made and the hater started to show a little bit of decline and, and the Brewers knew, 
Brewers knew that this was coming. The Brewers saw it. The Brewers did not see this as fixable. And they, they cashed out on Hayter, which is something that I mentioned. And I was I wish I was harder on it. I really wish I had went balls to the fucking walls on it. But I, I mentioned it more as a footnote, and I said, what if Josh Hader's bad? And that's exactly what happened. The Brewers saw the decline in Josh Hader and got out. And at that point, Mark Ananasio was on board because Hader had lost the Brewers some games. Hader did not look the same. I'm sure there were analytics provided that showed there was a little bit of decline starting with Josh Hader and the Brewers needed to get out. That said, the message was not communicated with the players. And it's a extremely, extremely tough message. It's not a message that you want to give to your team. And I understand that it happened the day of the day before the deadline. No, the day of the deadline. Uh, take it back. No, it's the day before the deadline. Excuse me. So it's the day before the deadline. So obviously David Stearns has a lot bigger fish to fry. He's trying to get a bat. Whether and he wasn't successful, and I understand the criticism there. Totally get it, right? But David Stearns was obviously working the phones and didn't have time for his team. But that is exactly where David Stearns fucked up. Because David Stearns should have been with the team in Pittsburgh and sat down with everybody and explained why this was happening. And explained why they were trading Josh Hader. And explained that there were analytics that showed there was a significant decline and we had to get out. And been extremely transparent with it. But because the Brewers kind of slink around and they do things where they keep things tight to the vest, they said, all right, we're, we're going to just say, yeah, here's what happened, bites of the apple, all this bullshit. And it was not communicated well at all. And that deserves criticism. And David Stearns, for as good as he was and how smart of a decision this was, he did not deliver this message well at all. He should have been there. He should have talked with everybody. Even though he says, I have an open door policy, look, you come to those guys. You, and it, it sounds a little toxic, if you will. I hate that term, but it does. Be a fucking man. Show some fucking nuts and get there in Pittsburgh. I'm a Stearns defender. I defended this trade. What I don't defend is a guy who doesn't see this as a major problem with the clubhouse. And I was wrong about it, all right? I thought the Brewers were going to shake off this, and they haven't, because it's fucking the 22nd of August, and we're still talking about goddamn Josh Ader. If he would have done his job, we might not be here. But Craig Council also deserves some of this blame. This is not just a one-way street. Craig Council deserves some of this blame too. Because Craig Council has let this fester. Craig Council has let this sort of rot in the Brewers Clubhouse. Instead of nipping it in the fucking butt. Instead of saying, we are not talking about Josh Hader. Josh Hader is not on this fucking team. Get used to it. Instead, he's let it linger. Shout out to the Cranberries. Because honestly, like... You won't be talking about this if your manager did those things. And Craig Council either doesn't have time for it and looks and it and just doesn't care anymore and wants to be done being a manager of baseball. And I think we're getting there. I think Craig Council is resigning at the end of this season. I said it to some friends this weekend and I'm planting my flag that I think Craig Council 
is going to resign as Brewers manager at the end of this year, no matter what happens. I have no inside knowledge of this. I have absolutely none. But I think Craig Council is tired of being a manager. I really do. He's the longest tenured NL manager. I think he's seen enough. And I think he is just tired of the day-to-day bullshit. Because a manager who has the ear of his team would not have allowed this to continue on. Would not have allowed this emotional baseball team to keep talking about Josh Hader. I hate to say it, but it doesn't feel like the Brewers are a playoff team. Even though I said they were living on the edge on Monday. And I still mean that. And and who knows? They could get there. They could rally. I think when you have a disconnected manager and you have a front office who, who did not see how emotional this team could be and how they can rally and how they they need sort of that spirit and how trading a guy like Josh Hader would fuck up that spirit. I don't know if this I don't know if this is a team that can all all of a sudden come together. We see it always in sports movies, right? Where the team is down on their luck and something just turns the, the whole thing around and it's a turning point and it's a rallying cry. Maybe Eric Lauer's comments, as well as the Keston Hero moment, would be that turning point. But I don't know. You have three games against the Dodgers, and then you, you go against the Cubs again. What if what if the Cubs go bad again? What if you lose more games to the Cubs than you have the Pirates? You should get hot. Even after what happens with the Dodgers, you should get hot. But that we have a long way to go. And the Brewers... Whether it's Stearns, and I didn't even mention Ananasio, and he, I, well, I guess I did a little bit in the in the open of like I think that he pushed the Josh Hader trade off, which sprung this leak, and Ananasio throwing Stearns under the bus didn't exactly help things either. That didn't exactly build a ton of confidence. They didn't exactly just all of a sudden get everybody fired up. For, for what was what was about to incur. So the Brewers really need to figure this out. And they really need to bond and come together. Even if it is to say, fuck David Stearns, fuck Mark Ananasio, Matt Arnold. We are going to do this ourselves. We are going to prove them wrong. But I will say this about the players. You have to look at what Josh Hader is doing and not be and not and understand that there was some justification there. And if they can't see that, then they they are not emotionally sound to be a playoff contender and be a World Series champion. As for the game this evening, the Brewers win 4-0, which you hear the first part of this and you're like, wow, you just rag on the Brewers' lack of communication and then they go out and win a game. It's very typical it makes a ton of sense, right? It's such so baseball it hurts, honestly. But who knows? Maybe this is exactly what they needed. They needed to hear that from Eric Lauer, and that was the final exclamation point of the Josh Hader. What I just mentioned about, hey, we're not talking about Josh Hader anymore. Maybe that was the finale. Maybe that was Eric Lauer letting everybody know, hey, we're still fucking pissed about this. You have some work to do in the offseason, but... We are going to go on and we're going to be professionals. I was really impressed with Eric Lauer tonight. I think Eric Lauer stepped up and showed what he was made of. Because when you make comments like that, it's real easy for you to not show up the next night. And Eric Lauer showed the fuck up. 
He was great tonight. Five scoreless innings, 98 pitches. The Dodgers had no answer for him like they usually don't against Eric Lauer. He's never lost in Dodger Stadium. Or no, he he has like, he's pretty much an impeccable record in Dodger Stadium. He hasn't lost in Dodger Stadium. That's right. And Eric Lauer continues to look really good in the month of July. And the Brewers radio broadcast, because I was having issues with Bally again on, the, on my phone, uh, mentioned how if Lauer really didn't have that June, he's had a really good year. And that June kind of is like a blip on the radar of otherwise a really solid season for Lauer. Lauer's August has been tremendous. He had good starts against the Cardinals. He had a really good start against the Dodgers last week in AmFam. And then tonight was good again for Lauer. So stepped up, put his money where his mouth is. And I I really appreciate that. I do. I, I think that if he came out and let's just say it was they were down, they got blown up. He blew up, right? It was like five nothing after the third inning. I was gonna look like, well, is he grooving stuff in there? Is he not being a professional? But Eric Lauer definitely was with his performance tonight. Uh, the Brewers bullpen, I can't believe they stood up a one nothing lead. If you would tell me that the Brewers would win 4 to nothing against the Dodgers and they would have a one nothing lead for four innings, I would call you crazy. Um, just because the way the Dodgers are. It's not like the Dodgers were coming off a long road trip or something and just arriving to L.A. They were home. They were playing Miami. They beat the shit out of the, out of the Marlins for three straight nights. And so you're understanding that, like, okay, here are the Dodgers. They play really well at home, too. They are definitely a tough team to beat at Dodger Stadium. But the Brewers did it. And the Brewers now are 3-2 and two against the Dodgers this season. They play, they've played them really well in almost all of those games, except for that first game. Other than that, the Brewers have looked really, really solid. The Dodgers can't seem to lose to anybody but the Brewers. So you ask yourself this question, and you're like, well, why is this happening? I think it comes down to focus. And we've talked about this a few times here in the last few weeks, but this Brewer team locks in against good teams. And they did it again tonight. And they play their best ball against actually good baseball teams. And yes, their offense wasn't exactly cooking this evening, but it wasn't the greatest lineup. You had Mike Brousseau leave the game with an injury, which it could mean Bryce Terang time which would be really exciting. Obviously, Brousseau's injury would be a bummer, but I'd be very excited to see what Bryce Trang could do. It also probably opens up a little more opportunity for Kasten Hira here and there. And Keurig continue, like Keurig didn't necessarily have that great of a game until the home run that basically saved Devin Williams. So if you look at it and you're like, well, Hira was one for four. He didn't really have three good at-bats before that. He had the at-bat that mattered because he gets the home run and it saves Devin Williams for another night. And I know they have a day off Thursday, but D-Will had 37 pitches on Saturday. He only got one night of rest. I was a little concerned with that one, shall we say. Um, but it, it, they don't even have to worry about it because of Castanjera. And that is, is good. And the Brewers just have this different mentality against really, really good baseball teams. And they need to find it. And they need to channel it. And they need to act like they're playing the Dodgers every fucking night that they're playing baseball. Because they can be this good. Even though I I ragged them earlier and I still feel the way I do that they can't keep their emotions in check. I'm at least willing to listen. I'm at least willing to entertain the fact that this was a last sort of double finger to the organization 
and that they're going to basically spike them the rest of the way. I don't know, man. Baseball, team chemistry, all this other shit is crazy. The Warriors fucking hated each other in the last year of their dynasty with Kevin Durant, and they got to the NBA Finals and probably beat the Toronto Raptors if Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson do not get hurt. Now, I'm not talking about the Brewers as the Warriors, so everyone can settle down. But what I'm saying is that even if everybody's not on the same page and everybody's not in the same boat, you can still find a way to keep winning games and you can still find a way to do enough to win if you have enough collective tissue and the Brewers are trying to build that. And I hope that this is, again, more steps forward. I'm not ready to go all in. I'm not ready to immediately say like, all right, yeah, this is the turning point. This is the moment Um, because it's, it's still too early, right? There's still a lot of unanswered questions, but this is a really positive step forward. Also, another really good game for Christian Yelich. Uh, He had two really good defensive plays. He nailed a runner out at home. He also had a great diving catch. He had a clutch, clutch hit uh, with Willie Adamas on second base and no outs. Yelich laces a double to left center. That's the Yelich that we haven't necessarily seen. We're starting to see a couple shades of it here and there, and man, if that Yelich is there the rest of the season, look out. But, well, again, it's one game. Not going to get too excited. But to beat the Dodgers, it's great. You have Corbin Burns on the mound tomorrow. That makes it even better against Tony Goslin. Goslin was really good against the Brewers on Wednesday. I had a front row seat to that. And Goslin just absolutely carved up the Brewers. So hopefully they're trying something different. Maybe, you know, obviously, Keston here I think will continue in the lineup. I'll be very curious to see what they do with a right-hander if Hira gets the nod yet again. It's hard for me to understand Hira going on the bench, but if they do that, uh, you just got to ride it out. Um, I did a social post today. I think, oh, we talked a little bit about it yesterday about how to place Hira, but it really should be McCutcheon in center field tomorrow. And if it's not, I'll be curious from the Brewer beat why why McCutcheon isn't out there or why Hira isn't out there because deserves to be asked and Craig Council keeps getting pressed on it by the Brewers media I think they've done a really good job of keeping Council in check on this topic because it deserves to be talked about Keston's playing too well to be on the bench right now and I hope he finds himself in the lineup against the very good Gossam and we'll be back tomorrow doing the same sort of thing uh, with the Brewer recap on the late night that's why that's why we that's why you have us uh, to having the keg on Twitter for all the late night uh, Twitter chats. Moving on to the Green Bay Packers. The Green Bay Packers defense was in their bag again today. Uh, the Green Bay Packers defense has been playing really well in team sessions against the, against the Packer offense. Now the Packer offense is, I wouldn't say a shell of what they used to be, but they're not necessarily fully equipped. I think when you see the Packer offense in October, when you see a Packer offense in in November, it's going to look a lot different. And the defense is taking advantage of it thus far. Ryan Wood had this tweet earlier today after another great session from the Packer defense. It is not just the plays the Packers defense is making. It's the confidence this group oozes every rep. This The defense has been kicking the offense's ass and it knows it. Haven't seen this since I joined the beat in 2014. This was after two straight sacks for the Packers on defense with Kenny Clark 
blowing Jake Hansen off the line, and then the entire D-line converged on Rodgers. Then Adrian Amos picked off Rodgers, and the defense was dancing and bobbing between Little John between those reps, all from Ryan Wood. Man, that to me sounds like an awesome group of guys. Sounds like a group of guys that I'm so excited to watch. I've never been this fired up to watch a Packer defense. I can't remember. When in 96, when Packers had an iconic defense with Reggie White, Leroy Butler, George Koontz, Craig Newsom, Doug Evans, all those guys, Eugene Robinson, um, Santana Dotson, Gilbert Brown, I almost named I Wayne Simmons. Can I do the whole Packer defense? I'm missing a couple. But still, that defense was legit. That defense was legendary. One of the best Packer defenses that we will that we've witnessed in our lifetime. But I was young. Again, I, I, we talked a little bit about with Leroy Butler how I remember the big games, but I don't remember just week five against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, right? Where Leroy wrecked havoc. This Packer defense is a chance to be really fucking special. And I think they know it. I think they understand it. That's why I was borderline appalled when Shield Kapadia put the Packers at the 17th best defense this season. Uh, Ringer.com now, formerly of the Athletic. I like Shield a lot. I think Shield is a super smart guy. I 100% respect him as a journalist. That said, I do not respect this ranking. Packers are not a 17th best defense. They're not an average defense this season. Packers are going to be one of the best defenses in football. I've had a lot of takes here already in this podcast, and we're not even 20 minutes in, but I seriously mean that. I think the Packers are going to be really fucking good. I understand that Shields' point on a lot of this was looking at injury luck, looking at you know rookie impact not being as strong. Shields a big believer that rookies can't make that big of an impact, that not every rookie is going to be Micah Parsons. And I understand that there is some regression thoughts around Devondre Campbell. Sure, that is fair. But at the same time, I don't really think Shields looking at the bigger picture, right? I think Shield doesn't see the defensive line depth. Even if you want to say, all right, Devontae Wyatt's not going to have that big of a season. Ah, look at Jaron Reed, right? You have Jaron Reed. Jack Helfren has played a hell of a preseason thus far. He's been awesome so far for, for the Packers. They have defensive line depth for the first time in a long-ass time. They have linebacker depth inside, which they barely ever have. If you want to be concerned about something, yes, the edge rush depth is a concern. The safety depth is a concern. Is Darnell Savage really that guy? Jair Alexander's health, all of those are fair concerns. But I can't look at this Packers team with what I see from the beat writers tweeting day in, day out about this defense and think they are the 17th ranked defense, nor the second best defense in the NFC North. Kapadia likes the Minnesota Vikings a lot. He thinks the Vikings can win the NFC North. He's not alone in that. I've heard that from Colin Coward. I've heard that from Bill Simmons. I think Warren Sharp, that engagement baiter, is on that too. So like I, that, that, that part doesn't bother me, right? That part, I don't care. I think that that's a, a common zag. It happens often. Um, but the other idea of this is he thinks that the Vikings have the 10th best defense in all football. 
blaming some of it on injury luck, blaming it on that they're going to have a great front seven this year, ignoring the fact that they have decrepit cornerbacks. They have Patrick Patterson, who hasn't been a thick Peterson, not Patterson, excuse me, not the the uh, power forward. Patrick Peterson, who hasn't been a relevant football player in years, or Chandon Sullivan at that cornerback position. To say the Packers are a worse defense than the Minnesota Vikings is an absolute fucking joke. And this is going to sound rude, but it's played on the field, not the spreadsheets, okay? Like, I understand analytics. I think analytics have a voice in every sport that I watch. But at some point, you have to look at who's on the roster and be like, are we are we really doing this? Do we really think this Vikings defense is going to come out of nowhere this year and be great again? They were awful last season. And they lose Mike Zimmer. And they have Ed Donatel, who, while has still been coaching football, somehow only 64 years old, has had a bad track record. He was bad with the Packers in the early aughts. It's been years ago. Maybe a Tiger changes his stripes. But I'm not convinced of it. I'm not convinced that Ed Donatel has it figured out. Zadarius Smith, yes, could be could be great for them. Could could be a factor. But Z barely played football last year. It's a lot to ask for. Zedari- and and I just I don't know. I can't. I really can't see it with the, with the Minnesota Vikings. I just can't. And maybe that's me being a homer. But I I can't see that defense being better than the Packers. And who knows. Maybe we're going to have a defensive struggle when the Vikings and Packers play against each other on first game of the year on September 11th. I'm not not quite sure. But at the same point, I really I really have a hard time putting anything past this defense. I think they are going to ball out. And I've said that a few times to you guys this August. I think they are set up for success. I think the matchup against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in week three will be an excellent challenge. I think it will be a moment for the defense to sort of show themselves as the guys, right? Like I think if they come out and they're awesome against that Tampa team, sky's the limit, right? At that point, everybody will be put on notice. It's a national televised game. It's gonna do a huge rating. If they, let's say, pick off Tom Brady three or four times, and they hold the Buccaneers to like 13 points or something, everybody's talking about that Packer defense on Monday morning. Everybody. And so I really think that you're going to see something special from the Green Bay Packers this season. And I would like to see what Shiel says as the year goes on with the Minnesota Vikings and the Green Bay Packers. I'll be very curious to watch. Probably actually have to follow him because... Uh, it, it's it's worthy at this point, right? Like it, it's at this point where now I am going to be just waiting on bated breath for his comments on the Green Bay Packers because I I, I just it, when I identify haters again, even though I like the guy, even though I, I think he does good work, I, I I've enjoyed him on podcasts. Like I I have to I have to denounce the haters, just like Howard uh, saying the Vikings are going to win thirteen games. I just don't get it, man. I really don't. And maybe we'll be talking in December. I'll be at my new house. I'll be at the new studio. And I'll be looking at it and saying, you know what? You guys were fucking right. I was wrong. I was a biased backer, man. But I really don't think that is going to be the case.
Moving on to the Green Bay Packers. The Green Bay Packers defense was in their bag again today. Uh, the Green Bay Packers defense has been playing really well in team sessions against the, against the Packer offense. Now, the Packer offense is, I wouldn't say a shell of what they used to be, but they're not necessarily fully equipped. I think when you see the Packer offense in October, when you see the Packer offense in, in November, it's going to look a lot different. And the defense is taking advantage of it thus far. Ryan Wood had this tweet earlier today after another great session from the Packer defense. It is not just the plays the Packers defense is making. It's the confidence this group oozes every rep. This The defense has been kicking the offense's ass and it knows it. Haven't seen this since I joined the beat in 2014. This was after two straight sacks for the Packers on defense with Kenny Clark blowing Jake Hansen off the line and then the entire D-line converged on Rodgers. Then Adrian Amos picked off Rodgers and the defense was dancing and bobbing between Little John between those reps, all from Ryan Wood. Man, that to me sounds like an awesome group of guys. Sounds like a group of guys that I'm so excited to watch. I've never been this fired up to watch a Packer defense. I can't remember. When in 96, when Packers had an iconic defense with Reggie White, Leroy Butler, George Koontz, Craig Newsom, Doug Evans, all those guys, Eugene Robinson, um, Santana Dotson, Gilbert Brown, I almost named, I Wayne Simmons, can I do the whole Packer defense? I'm missing a couple. But still, that defense was legit. That defense was legendary. One of the best Packer defenses that we will that we've witnessed in our lifetime. But I was young. Again, I, I we talked a little bit about with Leroy Butler how I remember the big games, but I don't remember just week five against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, right? Where Leroy wrecked havoc. This Packer defense is a chance to be really fucking special. And I think they know it. I think they understand it. That's why I was borderline appalled when Shield Kapadia put the Packers at the 17th best defense this season. Uh, Ringer.com now, formerly of the Athletic. I like Shield a lot. I think Shield is a super smart guy. I 100% respect him as a journalist. That said, I do not respect this ranking. Packers are not a 17th best defense. They're not an average defense this season. Packers are going to be one of the best defenses in football. I've had a lot of takes here already in this podcast, and we're not even 20 minutes in. But I seriously mean that. I think the Green Bay Packers are going to be really fucking good. I understand that Shields' point on a lot of this was looking at injury luck, looking at you know rookie impact not being as strong. Shields a big believer that rookies can't make that big of an impact, that not every rookie is going to be Micah Parsons. And I understand that there is some regression thoughts around Devondre Campbell. Sure, that is fair. But at the same time, I don't really think Shield's looking at the bigger picture, right? I think Shield doesn't see the defensive line depth. Even if you want to say, all right, Devontae Wyatt's not going to have that big of a season. Ah, look at Jaron Reed, right? You have Jaron Reed. Jack Helfren has played a hell of a preseason thus far. He's been awesome so far for for the Packers. They have defensive line depth for the first time in a long ass time. 
They have linebacker depth inside, which they barely ever have. If you want to be concerned about something, yes, the edge rush depth is a concern. The safety depth is a concern. Is Darnell Savage really that guy? Jair Alexander's health, all of those are fair concerns. But I can't look at this Packers team with what I see from the beat writers tweeting day in, day out about this defense and think they are the 17th ranked defense, nor the second best defense in the NFC North. Kapadia likes the Minnesota Vikings a lot. He thinks the Vikings can win the NFC North. He's not alone in that. I've heard that from Colin Coward. I've heard that from Bill Simmons. I think Warren Sharp, that engagement baiter, is on that too. So like I, that, that, that part doesn't bother me, right? That part, I don't care. I think that that's a, a common zag. It happens often. Um, but the other idea of this is he thinks that the Vikings have the 10th best defense in all football. Blaming some of it on injury luck. Blaming it on that they're going to have a great front seven this year. Ignoring the fact that they have decrepit cornerbacks. They have Patrick Patterson, who hasn't been a thick Peterson, not Patterson, excuse me, not the the uh, power forward. Patrick Peterson, who hasn't been a relevant football player in years, or Chandon Sullivan at that cornerback position. To say the Packers are a worse defense than the Minnesota Vikings is an absolute fucking joke. And this is going to sound rude, but it's played on the field, not the spreadsheets, okay? Like, I understand analytics. I think analytics have a voice in every sport that I watch. But at some point, you have to look at who's on the roster and be like, are we are we really doing this? Do we really think this Vikings defense is going to come out of nowhere this year and be great again? They were awful last season. And they lose Mike Zimmer. And they have Ed Donatel who, while has still been coaching football, somehow only 64 years old, has had a bad track record. He was bad with the Packers in the early aughts. It's been years ago. Maybe a Tiger changes his stripes. But I'm not convinced of it. I'm not convinced that Ed Donatel has it figured out. Zadarius Smith, yes, could be could be great for them. Could, could be a factor. But Z barely played football last year. It's a lot to ask for. And, and I just, I don't know. I can't, I really can't see it with the, with the Minnesota Vikings. I just can't. And maybe that's me being a homer. But I, I can't see that defense being better than the Packers. And who knows? Maybe we're going to have a defensive struggle when the Vikings and Packers play against each other on first game of the year on September 11th. I'm not, not quite sure. But at the same point, I really I really have a hard time putting anything past this defense. I think they are going to ball out. And I've said that a few times to you guys this August. I think they are set up for success. I think the matchup against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in week three will be an excellent challenge. I think it will be a moment for the defense to sort of show themselves as the guys, right? Like, I think if they come out and they're awesome against that Tampa team, sky's the limit, right? At that point, everybody will be put on notice. It's a national televised game. It's going to do a huge rating. If they, let's say, pick off Tom Brady three or four times and they hold the Buccaneers to like 13 points or something, everybody's talking about that Packer defense on Monday morning. 
Everybody. And so I really think that you're going to see something special from the Green Bay Packers this season. And I would like to see what Shield says as the year goes on with the Minnesota Vikings and the Green Bay Packers. I'll be very curious to watch. Probably actually have to follow him because uh, it, it's it's worthy at this point, right? Like it, it's at this point where now I am going to be just waiting on bated breath for his comments on the Green Bay Packers because I, I, I just, it, when I identify haters, again, even though I like the guy, even though I think he does good work, I, I've enjoyed him on podcasts, like I, I have to, I have to denounce the haters, just like Howard uh, saying the Vikings are going to win 13 games. I just don't get it, man. I really don't. And maybe we'll be talking in December. I'll be at my new house. I'll be at the new studio, and I'll be looking at it and saying, you know what? You guys were fucking right. I was wrong. I was a biased backer, man. But I really don't think that is going to be the case.